Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling-Biru. Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Confidential, a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. As he talks about here in our interview, when actor-director Sir Kenneth Branagh, then nine years old, left Belfast with his family for England and a new life, he fled into books, theatre, and Shakespeare to cope. And maybe, as a result perhaps, already at age 29, he directed Henry V, a film that brought him his first Best Actor and Best Director Oscar nominations. Now, throughout Kenneth Branagh's eclectic career, he's brought us many critically acclaimed Shakespeare adaptations, and also such different starring roles as an SS leader in Conspiracy, Gilderoy Lockhart in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, to Agatha Christie's Poirot. He's directed the Marvel movie Thor, Disney's Cinderella, but nothing has come close to being as personal as Belfast, which he wrote and directed, and which was just recently nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Picture. It was at the beginning of the pandemic that Kenneth Branagh felt compelled for the first time to go back 50 years and write his own story. Jude Hill plays Buddy, Branagh's alter ego. He's nine years old when violence suddenly erupts on his streets, neighbor against neighbor. It's the beginnings of what would be known as the Troubles in 1969, when sectarian violence raged across Northern Ireland in a conflict that would go on for three decades. This was in large part why Branagh's father, in the film played by Jamie Dornan, decided to move his family to England when Branagh was still a boy. In the film, the world is seen through the child's eye. His father is framed like a Western hero. The violence in the streets is terrifying, but there's also a positivity and a warmth that Buddy gets from his family and his friends and the everyday escapes of a child's innocence. The movie's cast also includes Katrina Balfe as his mother and Judy Dench and Kieran Hines as his grandparents. And again, his father is played by Jamie Dornan. And you can catch my interview with him, which I did just recently here on Pop Culture Confidential. But let's get on with our conversation. First, here's Belfast. We all have a story to tell. But what makes each one different is not how the story ends, but rather the place where it begins. Holy God. Mama says if we went across the water, they wouldn't understand the way we talk. If they can't understand you, then they're not listening. You know who you are, don't you? Your buddy from Belfast, where everybody knows you. Hey, buddy! Your mom's calling you! Yes! We're looking to cleanse the community a wee bit. You wouldn't want to be the old man out in this street. 
What's my family now, Kelly? Are we gonna have to leave Belfast? We'll fight this together. This is it. This is what? This is war. We're living in a civil war. What do you want? I want my family with me. I want you. Images are getting killed. We can give these boys a better chance than we ever had. I know nothing else but Belfast. Go now. Don't look back. Thank you so much for a beautiful movie. Thank you. Thank you. Like so many of us that are on pandemic productivity zero, my uh, screenwriter husband and I were like, wow, Sir Kenneth wrote a script about the most defining moment in his life in three months. And then we realized three months and 50 years and felt much better about ourselves. But Mr. <laughs> Brown, why did it take you so long? I listened to Christopher Hampton, a brilliant screenwriter and playwright who... Who's, who who used to we used to talk about the fact that he had a passionate uh, feeling that that writing should not be as many assume always autobiographical. He thought it was important to write away from yourself. He himself says he only wrote one play, uh, uh, East of Suez, that um, that was autobiographical, and um, I think I I felt that it was it was it could be vulgar or self indulgent to write too much about yourself and, and how could you judge what was about yourself and you know how could you even be objective um but when i got to the opening stages of the pandemic I, I arrived knowing that i'd always wanted to write something about belfast because i did believe leaving changed and shaped my life profoundly but i didn't know what it was i wanted to write just that there was an impetus to do so when i uh, felt the need as i and so many other friends did at the beginning of the pandemic to connect so many calls from people I hadn't seen for ages. Want to? How are you? What are you doing? What's and the and this sense of uncertainty, this sense of being unsettled, um, was exactly what I was feeling as a nine-year-old boy once that act of violence happened in our street. So this lockdown unlocked that one, and uh, and then it started to pour out. You're mentioning the trouble. So three decades of national trauma, but for you and the nine-year-old alter ego in your movie, the trauma is on a neighborhood level. Um, friends turning against friends. What did that, in particular, have for an effect on you and your relationships later on in life? I think, it, first of all, it shocked and astonished that two hours ago Paddy was a friend with whom I played, and two hours later the family is moving out. Um, and I am not to associate with such a person safely. That seemed almost impossible to understand. I didn't feel any differently about him, and I imagine he didn't feel any differently about me. So that was an almost incomprehensible idea to get your head around as a nine-year-old, except that apparently we were in a tribe now that we had to stick to, um, and that was the dictate from people who we also knew who two hours ago weren't as important as they now told us that they were as their sort of local commander of this um, section of the, of the, of the struggle. Um, so uh, yeah, the, 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 uh, 
the immediate impact was to perplex a sort of nine-year-old. And the lasting impact, I think, is to make you, certainly it's been the case with me, I think significantly more guarded as an individual, mm -hmm. significantly more concerned that the instant and uh, catastrophic change that happened, at least to a nine-year-old, without much warning, could happen at any time and in any part of life. Life could blow up and uh, as it were, barricades would be erected. So I think you, you pre-erect a few barricades of your own. You protect yourself from uh, a level of contact or even in your writing from a level of autobiography, um, that there is a kind of keep your head down mentality that um, the, the, the act of doing this wished to kind of banish from, from my psyche. So this has released you a bit from that guardedness, this project. I would say so. I mean, I was, I don't know that I necessarily consciously intended that, but when I showed the script to my sister and my brother, my sister said, look, and I'm surprised, I was surprised she put it like this because I didn't recognize myself in what she said. And then I did uh, when she said, look, you know, for a man who's the most quiet and private individual I know, uh, you've really put yourself out there, haven't you? Um, and then I realized, oh, was I, was I the quiet, a private individual? I'm an actor, aren't I? And, but, but she made the point that, yeah, you're an actor, but we, you know, you, you keep your, you keep yourself very much to yourself and, uh, and here you don't. And, uh, so it wasn't really until she pointed out the blindingly obvious, uh, that I had not seen that I realized that unconsciously that was part of it, I think. So many things about ourselves that we don't know, right? When you were on the set and your cast was bringing to life your versions of your parents, of your street and of your family, was there a particular emotional scene or filming day that really affected you? The challenge of getting it on and doing it with COVID, reducing the amount of working hours with children's educational demands, reducing working hours, it meant that there was quite a sort of the usual thing as the director with this uh, limited time, limited resources, making the film becomes a very concentrated thing. You don't have much time for emotion. Um, but nevertheless, that said, there were two or three moments where uh, when Buddy arrives back from having been drawn into this looting, which I was, and comes back with a big box of family washing powder, which I did, I just remember watching as the door opened and Katrina Balfe came out, there was a sort of fire in the eyes and an outrage in her that just sent me right back time traveling to seeing my own mother come after me like a bat out of hell. Um, I mean, because at one and the same time as a nine-year-old, I'm thinking, we can't be doing this. You cannot be chasing me back to the, to the riot I was just in because you don't think stealing washing powder is appropriate. <laughs> but she, there was no, uh, the red mist had descended. She was a very fiery woman, very fiery woman indeed. And Katrina caught that. And I remember that making me sort of um, jump a bit. And, uh, and yeah, and right at the end, when, when Judy Dench uh, says in a massive close up, she sort of gives them her blessing for departure. Uh, I remember almost ruining the take sound wise, because when I went to review it, having been um, very struck watching it, I said to the sound recorders, oh no, I think something, we had a noise on that take. She said, that is your intake of breath, sir, when she did the last version of it. And, and when I listened again, it was me going, <gasps> um, which was in, involuntary, uh, but that was, she sort of struck such a sort of dark, tolling bell of truth that um, it was very, very resting. Otherwise I had to try and sort of keep cool under pressure. Many of us in the audience took that breath. <laughs> um, 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of my favorite lines in the movie is, the Irish were born for leaving, otherwise the world would have no pubs. Um, <laughs> that's something I got good at myself, no relation to Ireland. But with a family that, from many different countries, I learned to adapt or die, to code switch, not just in forms of dialect, but also culturally. When you left and you came, was that something you did consciously? As a survival mechanism, I think my goal was just to keep my head down. I, uh, I, I, uh, I, I developed, I would say, a sort of positive neutrality. I tried to just disappear, tried to be invisible. It, was, it wasn't until I became an actor that I had an outlet for all of the imagination that you see alive in Belfast watching films and at play. That was what was sort of interrupted. Then I sort of went underground for a while, in a way. My parents, when I was 13, 14, I remember them sitting down saying, why don't you, sitting me down saying, why don't you bring friends home? And I didn't really know. It, I didn't feel that I didn't have friends, but I knew that I had become something of a loner. But I think I was terrifically wary of things um, going wrong again. And so I, be, from the moment I left Belfast, or within months, I think, I bought my first book. I mean, bought one as opposed to one from school or a library. Bought my first book from Woolworths in Reading for 25 pence, five shillings. And I remember my father going, what are you doing with that? What have you bought that for? And I said, well, to read it. He said, but you'll have read it once. And then what will we do with it? I said, well, we'll put it on a shelf. And he said, but what, where then? Well, I said, well, I might read it again. I said, but well, that's what bloody libraries are for. That's what you pay taxes for. But it was the beginning, that comic version of it was the beginning of me becoming a voracious reader. Uh, and that's where I went. I went into books and literature. I just swallowed them up. I was in my room, felt like I spent five years of my adolescence in my room reading. You're the kid that knew every understudy in every Shakespeare production. And, mm. and you can move effortlessly from an MCU movie and comic books and Tenet to, to Shakespeare. And I realized, and I hope you don't mind me saying it because it's a, you're a man of my heart, that you're, you're a passionate nerd, really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> would you say that you are obsessive when you're passionate about something? Yes, I would. I would. Um, and that period when I became interested in acting and I was given copies of plays and players and theatrical books and I would haunt bookshops. It, it was just, I couldn't get enough of it. And it wasn't, um, it, it, it gave me such unalloyed pleasure. It was, it was uh, definitely something where you were released into flow, as they say. Um, you are where you, at least imaginatively and creatively, I was where I was supposed to be. It, it, the, and of course it was infinite, that which one could sponge up from, from one's passion. So the history of the English theatre. I mean, I would, it, for a while it was like a sport. I would, uh, so the credits for any TV show would come up and I could sit with whoever was, and I could, there, there wouldn't be a name, hardly be a name in the crew credits, that. but there wouldn't be a name in the acting credits where I couldn't say, oh, do you know, they play, they were at the Northampton Repertory Theatre and and I loved it like, yeah, so I understand the Marvel nerds big time. And you were mentioning that, I mean, you obviously grew up in a home with a lot of love, but you've said that there were no books. So this was like a path you took 
on your own. Well, do you know, I took it and then my mother took it. So again, I think we both became, I think, pretty isolated and, and alone, if not lonely, but sometimes lonely. And as I was doing that, she became the mistress of crime fiction. So she started to she started to read everything. She that's where Agatha Christie came into my life. That's where you know contemporary crime fiction came into my life. It's my you know it's one of my passions still. Um, and she became she also became a voracious reader. But I think in both cases it was because many other things in our lives had gone. My life on the street in play had gone. Her life with the larger family had gone, and the family of the street and everything. So we had ourselves and we had our, our imaginations and thank God we had books. I love that, that, that uh, you, I was talking to Jamie about that yesterday too, that, that I think people want to put you in boxes. What are, Sir Ken, are you doing, are you high art or low art? Pick a lane. And, and it's not really, art is healing in so many ways. But another Belfast boy in your cast who's also moved away, Kieran Hines, I read that he recently said, I still have an Irish soul. Um, what defines your Irish soul today? Making films like this, uh, when maybe you could or should be doing something else, uh, uh, not now, eventually not caring so much what people think, I mean, or at least not caring what they think about silly things anyway, or, or simply you know, having differences of opinion, not wanting to be so much of a people pleaser, as I think happens when what happened in my case happened. I think that subsequent to that rupture, one was always desperately trying to make things good at home, whatever needed to be made good, because they'd made such a big sacrifice for us. And I was aware of it from the word go, that somehow you wanted, you know, you wanted them to um, appreciate that we appreciated it. We did. Now, 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 not so much, you know, and, and the, the pandemic really opened up, up that for me, I think. There was such a lot of space to not just think, but definitely to feel, to feel a, a sort of a shift. And, and I did. So I don't know whether that's Irish, but it, it's, it's, it's maybe soulful is perhaps what it is. There's a new generation, of course, after 1998. What would your hopes be that they take away from this film? A new generation in Ireland, I mean. Well, you know, this, this phrase that you see above the door at, when you walk into Holocaust museums, uh, lest we forget, um, you know, you don't want to rub people's noses in it, but, but reminding us all of, um, yes, what is possible. The film celebrates the love, light, laughter that you might be able to find in dark situations. But, you know, this wasn't the film to do it in. But on that same day, August 15th, 1969, two streets away, the first kid, 10 years old, like I was, um, would dare a Catholic child, um, then 3,700 other people in the, in the, in the th 30 years that followed. Um, I don't think anybody wants that again, and yet we see how tinder dry sometimes uh, the landscape can be there. So um, you want them to take away that there, there's a fortitude, there's an optimism that these people were looking for, uh, that we've tried to hand on in a way, and uh, I'd say take that flame of hope and run with it and continue to show all us oldies the incredible example that has been set in these last 25 years of making progress in a tremendously sticky political and socioeconomic atmosphere. Um, not flawless, of course, imperfect, but across one lifetime, an amazing thing to witness. And I would say nothing short of miraculous. I want to take our last few minutes here to talk about how beautifully you do visual memory of a child. Um, you have 
Pa, like a Western hero, um, through the eyes of Buddy. You have Grandma in the window. I was wondering a little bit about your filming perspective here. I, I may be wrong, but it feels like the adults are bigger than the couches and, and the windows they're looking out are very small. Did you use perspective in this way? Yeah, a little in that in that sense, because that's how that's how it, it seemed to me. They are tiny houses. The first thing Kieran Hines, when he walked onto the set of his house, he said, Jesus, this is small. Um, I said, and I said, well, it was, Kieran, it really was. And when it didn't take much to make a party in here, you know, by the time we come to visit and watch Star Trek, uh, it, you know, and then another auntie popped in and everything. It was, a, it was, everything was an ad hoc party with, yes, you're absolutely right. The, 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 the adults too big for the house, as it were. Um, also, this feeling of putting them in frames. Whenever there was decent weather, all the windows were up and people were, it was our version of promenading. We didn't have fancy Italian piazzas and, and sunshine. Uh, you, you had the street and you could have the windows open and people just hang about and talk on the step or whatever. And, um, and that sort of perspective on things and, and looking at, you know, a lot of, it seemed like all the male conversations happened at the back door. So you got to the yard and you would see it and you would see, it felt to me like dad was uh, a man stood at the gate to the ranch. And when Jack Polance as the bad guy rides up, you know, he would stand four square like a mountain and thou shalt not pass was the body language that I saw in, you know, again, this tiny little miniature half backyard thing. Uh, which became the men's informal smoking lounge, you know, in order to create some sense that, you know, they were they were going into the the, the boys' room. Suddenly, the number of conversations I had with my grandfather, with him sitting on the top of the outside loo, health and safety were, would not have been uh, uh, impressed by the way we we ran our hygiene lives. Talk to me a little bit about the casting of the movie. Um, it seems like you were very set on Jamie, for example. How did this come together? Those uh, sort of anchors, it seemed to me, uh, Jamie, I, I felt that um, this was somebody of great sort of charisma and also the power of being able to, to think and be preoccupied. You see it in a TV series like The Fall, in which he's mm -hmm. most impressive for the contained quality that he brings. He was a sort of pillar in this. I didn't know that he would say yes. I didn't know him, but I knew that if we got him, that would be that would be somebody who knew the place, knew the people, and also could convey the sense of a complex man who doesn't necessarily say much. Um, and the same with Judy Dench, who uh, I knew had that sort of uh, that wisdom and that stoicism. Judy, Judy is the least complaining poet. Well, in fact, she is uncomplaining. Uh, she now can barely see. I've never heard her complain once about it and so the stoicism that i recognized in my own grandmother i knew could be entirely embodied by judy again without saying or doing much and that judy as an artist would have the confidence not to do much but to be take away the doing and have the being um katrina balf i saw one scene in ford versus ferrari where she really bites off christian bale's head for fibbing to her about not going back to uh, motor racing and I remember thinking crikey I'd never crossed that woman uh, and then boy did that remind me of my mother and and Kieran talking about an Irish soul his soulfulness as an actor I think is something I've always responded to and then the, the goal was can we find the miracle worker who could play buddy and you did yeah, um, yeah. so we're living through a collective trauma now with this pandemic that's hopefully over um, very soon is there anything we can learn from the experience that you had or that Belfast had? Uh, I, you know, one, one perspective that I took, 
inspired by that uh, remark of uh, Picasso's who, who said, you know, it took me a few years to learn how to paint, but it took me a lifetime to learn how to paint like a child. Um, the idea of looking at life with a childlike simplicity, um, it's very hard and, and, and people can be easily and swiftly cynical about it. Yet our lives are so overcomplicated. The noise is so intense. It is so various. It comes at us from everywhere. I was very aware of wanting to concentrate the message of the film, if you like, into that simple conversation between father and son at the end. Hey, dad, would you think me and that wee girl have a future? You know, she's a Catholic. Um, uh, well, if you're if you're kind, if you and she's fair and you respect each other, uh, then, you know, you're welcome any day of the week. Simple, maybe even simplistic, but in a in a in a in a polarized world where politics has become so tribal, the basic inability to respect and understand or attempt to understand through open communication and opposite point of view has now become a sort of holy grail of, of impossibility, it seems, to so many people. Uh, if that idea was 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 seeded for us all here, uh, you know, when it's when the noise and the capacity to make instant remarks and instant reactions and the pressure to react instantly and not think, um, I think one wants to, how do you therefore train an instinct to be more compassionate, not simply reactive, aggressive and defensive? Um, I think that's a big task for all of us to, to feel with intelligence and compassion. Uh, yeah, emotional intelligence. Maybe that's what we need to be looking for more of more easily available and readily available to us all. And some Irish resilience. <laughs> yes, Irish yes. stoicism as <laughs> well. You. Definitely a twinkle in the eye. Thank you so much. They're asking me to wrap up. Congratulations on this great movie and good luck with your Irish release today. You shouldn't be Thank you very much. Yeah, it's, an, <laughs> it's, it's an exciting day for us here. And so far we're touching wood here, but it seems to be looking very good. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you so much to Kenneth Branagh. Belfast is out in theaters in the U.S. and across the world. It premieres in Sweden on February 25th. And good luck at the Oscars on March 26th. And thank you so much for listening to Pop Culture Confidential. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes. And luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories, I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.